five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Hey, friends of the Space Business Podcast. This week, I sat down with Luca Rossettini, who's the founder and CEO of D-Orbit, arguably one of the most prominent European space startups. D-Orbit is already successfully operating a last-mile delivery service in orbit, so-called SpaceTark, but there's so much more on their visionary roadmap. Luca and I will talk all about it in this episode, so enjoy. And speaking of enjoyments, if you do enjoy this podcast in general, please leave us a review or rating on your favorite podcast platform, like iTunes or Spotify, so more people can find it. Thank you. Now, as always, here are a couple of short messages from our sponsors, and then please enjoy my conversation with Luca Rossettini. My name is Raphael Rodkin, and I'm an investor and advisor to space companies. Just as a reminder, this podcast is for informational purposes only, and nothing should be taken as investment advice. This podcast is sponsored by Nanoavionics, a satellite manufacturer and mission integrator. Their technologies enable many space companies worldwide to offer services that improve life right here on Earth, such as providing global connectivity, conducting Earth observation, or contributing to scientific discoveries. Check them out, and also check out my episode with the CEO and co-founder. Sadly, I am not a rocket scientist, but I'm an alumnus of the International Space University. ISU offers a number of educational programs about space worldwide. Check them out at isunet.edu. Welcome back, everybody. I'm very excited this week. We have one of the, I think, most prominent European space startups. Well, it's not even a startup anymore, I think it's fair to say, on the podcast this week. I'm welcoming uh, Luca Rossettini, who is the CEO and founder of D-Orbit from Italy. Welcome, Luca. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you, Rafael. Fantastic. So, Luca, I'm going to start um, sort of the same way I tend to start, which is, can you give us uh, the uh, two-minute elevator pitch on what D-Orbit is doing for those who don't know yet? Yeah, we are building um, a space logistics infrastructure to enable the existing trillion dollar market, but also to enable the future of space. Uh, so the future of uh, human expansion in a sustainable space. Great. And so what does that um, encompass right now in terms of your activities? I think right now you have already um, several successful missions with a last mile delivery vehicle, correct? Yes. The, the first leg of our business is transportation. So that is uh, the first layer of logistics, right? So what we do, uh, we pack satellites into a, like a delivery truck, like space vehicle that act as a delivery truck. Once we reach space, we move around orbit so we can change orbit, we can change altitude, we can go in other locations, even far away from when the, the rockets deliver, usually the satellites, and deliver the satellites very precise in uh, like fraction of the time so uh, as an average we can uh, like save up to 85 percent time from launch to operations for the satellite but also reduce the overall cost of deployment of a constellation by 40 percent because basically with one mission you can reach different orbits uh, and uh, while usually you need to book uh, different rockets to go in different orbits mm -hmm. so what made you start this company how did you how did you wake up one day or how did you get this idea that to, to do a space logistics company yeah let's say the space logistics is a, is a, is a tool to to, to get uh, you know to, to realize my my kids dream right so so the it was I mean the orbit started in a very egoistic way if you want so when I was a kid I wanted to become an astronaut as probably many kids mm -hmm. and I and uh, I built my my entire life to become an astronaut 
astronaut. So I studied a lot, you know, I like I did whatever it took. Even I joined the army as a, a parachute officer for a couple of years and, and uh, I took a PhD, you know, whatever I could do to get there. Then in, uh, you know, that in Europe, you have basically one chance in life, right? So it's, it's not like in US that you have a dozen astronauts every year. Yes. So you have to be very well prepared. So in 2008, the, the contest came out um, and uh, I joined uh, like 10,000 applicants at that time. Mm-hmm. And I went through the selection. Uh, but I mean, if I'm here, you know the end of the story. So I'm, I'm not an astronaut. Uh, you so you so got so selected, but you chose to become an entrepreneur because you thought... <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the reality is that uh, uh, at one of the last selections, uh, we were like uh, less than 200 at that point. Wow. Um, so I got a, a letter, a try again later, you may be more lucky next time, right? So so I had to decide what to do with my life because uh, basically I I made all in, uh, you know, to, to become an astronaut. Yeah. And I said, well, you know, I studied a lot. I have a lot of certificates here. Uh, I, I can use them to, to lead the fire or I can use them to do something good. And I said, okay, let's build my own spaceship. So I, I, I had two companies at the time. Um, so what I did, I went to us i studied business in silicon valley because business was important because you need to build a company that is scalable and successful sure. in order to have enough money to build your own space vehicle right and then okay. then i joined nasa and then uh, 2010 i realized that the market was going to become like commercial in the near future so i met by the way the, my my co-founder renato i met him in silicon valley he was at nasa as well and then we came back to europe to start the orbit and it was really I mean, interesting. It was 2011 at that time. No one was investing in space or thinking that space could become a commercial, uh, you know, sector. So it was very hard to talk about transport, like interplanetary uh, transportation and space logistics. So, uh, but you know, now now it's easier. So we are not there yet. We are not transporting people yet. But let's say we we did some, you know, good progress in the in, in the last year. And it's it's really quite fascinating, right? Just I'm taking a step back. So, and by the way, you mentioned your certificates before you went to Silicon Valley and studied business. What did you do? Were you like an aerospace engineer or something like that? Oh yeah, yes, yes. So I, I like before Silicon Valley. Let's say my background was mainly technical. Okay. So aerospace engineer, PhD in advanced space propulsion, okay. like a few masters in software, robotics, yeah. you know, whatever you can. Got the full technical side. Okay, yeah, yeah, got you. Exactly. Check. Yeah. And then, and then also, I'm um, just expanding on something you said there. You said Silicon Valley and NASA. So that's obviously NASA Ames, which you're right. 2010. I mean, that's that's even like many years before. I joined space, but it's so interesting, right? Because Ames at the time was a hotbed already, it's fair to say, I think, for this sort of new space entrepreneurship, because wasn't it at the same time that Planet and Made in Space and people like that were were there with you? Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, the interesting aspect is that in my team at NASA, so I was working with uh, Chris Koshuizen, uh, Will Marshall, yeah. that are the two founders of Planet. And we were working on this uh, concept of small satellite. And I was in charge of the economic feasibility. Uh, so the budget was not a big budget anyway. So I had also to use screwdriver and, you know, and uh, like yeah. the, the attitude control software and so on. But what actually... Uh, and so the outcome of that that project was that the small satellites could could uh, represent a, 
a real market advance. So I think from that project, really, you know, after after that project, Planet was created, and then the Orbit was created, and many other companies were uh, were created, and uh, and it was really a low budget uh, program. We were building the satellite using the Lego Mindstorm. So you know, you are at NASA, and you are imagining, you know, to have like the the science fiction buildings and so on. It, it's yeah. it, it's another agency as many others uh, where people were not really believing into small satellites at that time. Uh, but, you know, the outcome, uh, it's what I think uh, also helped the new space to start. And when you were setting up the orbit then, was it already the plan to do like the last mile logistics? Was that back then also the the sort of purpose of the company? Uh, so the 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 final, let's say, our vision is has uh, always been the interplanetary transportation okay. system to support yep. all the businesses. Let's say the last mile delivery is one step. So you have a uh, it, it's an interesting question. So like one week ago we had this uh, internal uh, internal meeting in which so now we have like the double of the people of the last year, right? So yep. I, I I ran this presentation to explain explain like the orbit to, to everybody and uh, and I found a very old slide so 2011 slide with the roadmap of the orbit that I made it was still with the logo that I did myself right so a very ugly logo and you know very ugly yeah. slide and now we have Katerina she's amazing on you know, like building the like yes. a magic slide and uh, and it's the interesting aspect is that we are still on the roadmap and whatever we put in the roadmap so the roadmap was based on markets not on technologies and whatever we put in the roadmap actually really happen so that's that's the beauty right so we are not yet i mean we are still at the beginning of the roadmap but definitely the last mile delivery is an important step because it's an enabling factor you enable you enable like enable the face economy to work better and now we are like satellite operators are coming to us even with ideas of changing the configurations of their constellations because now they know that they can play satellites you know, whatever they want. So there are no restrictions anymore. They they can reduce the amount of propellant and uh, use the volume uh, to put additional sensors so they can make more money. And, uh, you know, you 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 name it, you have it. So it, it, it's really amazing what is happening right now. And like, thanks to logistics services. I think this roadmap is fascinating. And I didn't realize that. And sort of, I have even more respect now because that sounds a little bit similar to even what, you know, um, Elon is doing at SpaceX, right? Where he kind of starts with the overall goal of making making life multiplanetary. And then at least the legend has it, you know, he takes several mental steps back and says, okay, well, the first step is going to have uh, is going to have really cheap mass to orbit. And then intermediate step, we have Starlink, you know, which generates hopefully a lot of money, which then helps us to, to go to Mars. Yes, yes, yes. that's, that's, uh, I mean, I think every, every business follow pretty much the same strategies, right? So, so you have a final target and then in order to get there, so either you are very rich, but no yes. one is, no, not even Elon Musk was, uh, was rich enough to get there, right? So you need to divide in steps, and steps are markets. And then you need to understand, what, what, I mean, where to start. And when we started in 2011, uh, at, at that point was very, very difficult because the market was only government-driven. So we had to find a niche uh, in which no one was there building a technology that actually we could use later on in the future. In fact, if you, I mean, if you Google the orbit and you go back in like 2011, 2012, you find that our first product was a, a decommissioning 
measuring system for satellites. So like an intelligent motor that you plug into a satellite that is capable of removing a satellite at the end of life, even if the satellite is not working. So basically, it is a oh, that's, okay, that's, satellite. Your name suddenly makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, that, that's funny because when we created the orbit, the name, uh, I, I even have the, and, and, and Chris uh, make fun of me, when I, I had a car in Silicon Valley and the license tag in my car was the orbit, right? So because I thought that it, uh, I was looking for money, right? So going to an investor with the license tag uh, with uh, written the orbit showed the commitment, you know, <laughs> but actually no one was <laughs> getting to the parking lot, <laughs> look at my car. So I was trying to park the car in a way that from the windows <laughs> you could see my car. But anyway, so um, the name actually comes from Latin. Uh, that means the orbita. So whatever you can do in orbit. Because my idea was to um, create this infrastructure that actually help all the others to make business. So you mentioned Elon Musk. Elon Musk has a very precise target. He wants to go to Mars. And But even if you establish a colony there, then you need the logistics service to support all the other activities, right? So I see this as a like, complementary system. So that's, that's why the Orbita, but the, the name was perfect for the first phase of the company. The orbit, the commissioning, the orbiting satellites, so was, so was really good. So th that first device basically was a small satellite, very reliable, that you install in a big satellite. So in the same technology that we use now, it's the one that we flew in 2013. So, so it's, it's almost like an inverse mission extension vehicle. It's sort of like, yes, you, you attach it, but it doesn't extend the mission, it ends the mission, basically. And is that, like you correctly said, I mean, uh, the other thing is it's nice to have a grand, or you should have a grand vision definitely. But then, unless you're Jeff Bezos, I guess, maybe the only person on the planet, you have to go out and fundraise on something. And and I mean, I remember even a few years ago, even Elon couldn't have gone out and raised money on interplanetary travel. Like he was raising money basically on Starlink, right? So what, what was your first money raised on? Was it on the on, on this um, the orbiting end of life vehicle? Yes. Yes. So, so uh, when you speak with investors, of course, they like the big vision. But then they want to make sure that you are able to pay salaries at the end yes. of the month, right? That it's not trivial. So they said, okay, fine, you want to go there, you, you, you want to connect Mars, the asteroid belt, moon and the earth. Yeah, we like it, but what are you going to do to make money now? Right, so that's that's the, the the question. So the first product was really the decommissioning system. Uh, that was the like a stepping stone for the orbit because allow us build pretty much everything that that we are still using. And the the, the initial conversation with investors were uh, yeah were mainly related to the decommissioning system. Uh, so space debris, uh, and that's that's interesting because at mm. that time, uh, I mean, even space debris was was really you know uh, an argument for scientists, not for industries. Yes, uh, and we were the first launching on the market of like an autonomous and independent system for satellites. That's uh, it's now everybody's talking about active debris removal, debris yep. mitigation, and so on, right? So we are very happy because now the market is really like becoming real. Uh, but at that point, it, it wasn't easy. And then, so when did you move from that activity towards what I guess is your best known activity right now, which is the last mile delivery? Yeah. Where did that happen? Yeah. So let's say in our roadmap we had the like the commissioning system that basically was also a technology validation mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, we were waiting for the small satellite market to appear because of 
the work yeah. that I did at NASA, right? So we were waiting. We were like expecting that uh, this to happen. Uh, but what happened, the reality is that we developed the decommissioning system on our own, using our own money. Um, and that was not good enough uh, uh, to work with institutions. So in the sense that institutions usually, uh, they work with you if you already work with them. So right. at that point, we said, okay, so we need to validate this system in orbit. And, and we tried to like give it away for free just to have a test in orbit. And we weren't able to find anyone. Actually, I remember a satellite operator that told us, oh, you want to put a bomb on my satellite? So I started building my own satellite uh, like before the market appeared. It was like 2013, 2014. Yeah. And, uh, but I didn't have enough money to complete the satellite. So what I did, I rented space in, in the satellite to other companies. And some of them paid me in kind, some others in cash. And we were able to complete the mission and have the full validation. But at that point, the market, like small satellite market was there, right? So, um, I mean, if you took a small satellite and you put it in a big box, you ended up with a big satellite with a lot of them that you yeah. can fill up with other objects. I mean, that's now, now it's a very simplistic uh, concept, but that's, that's exactly what uh, was in our plan. Start with a small satellite and then uh, build, uh, let's say, a cargo around. And this is what we are doing now. So now the market is really uh, transportation, but we are already delivering additional services on top of the transportation. Space Cloud is a good example, and this is going to change the way satellite operators are going to do their business. Uh, but, you know, th there are many, and even these ones are important for the next phase. So, allow you to make some money today uh, to sustain the company and grow the company, but they are also useful for the next step, the next market. Yeah, I, I really just want to give a shout out here, you know, me being a venture capitalist myself, right, to the potential entrepreneurs out there, which is something I keep on telling them as well, which I think you you exemplify, which is you should really think about, as the Americans sometimes say, this hockey analogy, where the puck is going to be, like where the market is moving towards and going there, right? I mean, it's like you're saying, when you were taking this bad roadmap, the, the small like Leo satellite market basically didn't exist yet, right? Or in a very, in a much smaller, much smaller way, correct? You were just betting yeah. it would be there. And uh, I mean, at that time, investors were not investing in space. Uh, they right. Because they didn't know space, but also especially because the space said, why should they, why should they invest in a market that is uh, government-driven? But the, the the problem was also talking with institutions. At that time, you know, institutions were not believing uh, that private companies could get into the space sector. Uh, it, it was really, really hard. So I remember, like, at the end of 2011, we submitted a proposal that was really, you know, futuristic. We were talking about in-orbit servicing in 2011, right? So, and the proposal was named Corridoras. And Corridoras is a it's a it's a fish, you know, the fish in the aquarium that, that clean up the the like, like the glass, right? Yeah. So um, and we submit the proposal and we got the and like a letter, uh, basically they were suggesting us to go back to study at school. So <laughs> there was it was not a very gentle letter. So I have it. I, I have it in the, in the other office. I have a frame with that letter, and then I have another letter of 29, exactly with the same proposal, with the same drawings. I, I was using Star Wars uh, uh, ships, uh, like the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> so that's probably why they didn't accept the proposal in 20 in, in 2011. But anyway, the second letter we were awarded by the contract. So. 
it was just a matter of time. But you know, if you if you have a vision and you know that that every market is going to happen because it's a logical consequence, you may yeah. have the uncertainty of when the market is going to appear. But if you structure the business in a way that you are able to sell now, yeah. but also building for the future, then you can have you know a more like say a safe business, but still capable of uh, growing into additional market later on. Yeah, I, I cannot kind of stress how important some of the things you're saying are to again to the listeners out there. Um, this kind of like it's fine to be early, but you have to make sure you survive. It's like just a really important lesson. And by the way, I really like that uh, you use those fish and the fish analogy. Kind of, it's funny enough, it's timely again, right? It will go very nicely with the uh, with the orbital reef, I guess. But anyway, um, let's go back to sort of like the core activities of your company and some of the roadmap stuff, right? So let's start maybe talk just a little bit, a few minutes about the last mile transport, and then we're going to talk about things like space cloud, which are very exciting. So for the orbital transport, maybe just to give people who don't know, like very general sense of sort of like, how does it work? How big is this? You know, how, how many satellites, how much payload can it take? Um, you know, what vehicles can you fly on? How do you, how do the economics compare to sort of using a dedicated launch at that kind of sort of high level overview so people understand yeah. the business model? Yeah, yeah, sure. So let's, let's start with some uh, numbers about the market. So uh, like, in, like in practical terms, so number of satellites. So there are about three, uh, 3,300 satellites orbiting around the earth that are still active mm -hmm. and uh, that there are more than 65,000 satellites that are planned to be launched in the next uh, decade. Yes. Actually, I, I learned like a couple of weeks ago that the number is now 78,000. But anyway, so it's a very large number. Yes. These satellites are completely different from the traditional satellites. So they are not, you know, as big as a room and as, as expensive as they were in the past. They are very small, uh, 400 times cheaper. Of course, they last way less in orbits. Usually they last uh, two to three years. Sometimes you find satellites that can last five years, but you don't really want to have a satellite uh, that lasts more because the technology is going to be obsolete. obsolete. And you are going to launch satellites in groups that are called constellations uh, because you want to have like the maximum scalability of your business. So you want to serve the entire planet as your market. So that's that's the new business. That, that's the new space. So the issue is that the infrastructure to launch those satellites is still, the, is still the traditional. So first of all, you need to find the rocket and to get to orbit now, the average delay is between one and two years. Mm -hmm. In fact, there are more than 60 companies building new rockets right now, right? Yep. So it's to address this. But the real issue is, is once you get space, because in the past, one rocket was delivering one satellite and you don't care where the satellite was positioned because it was one. But if you have a constellation, you need to deploy the satellites in a proper way, proper location, multiple orbits and so on. Mm -hmm. and, and this is something that you cannot achieve easily with, with one rocket. So that's where the logistics come in, right? So it's uh, we take logistics for granted on Earth, but there will be no businesses that can work without logistics services. Even if you produce a pen, then you need someone to pick up the pen at the factory, bring it to the distributor and so on to the local yeah. shop. In space, this is exactly what we do. We take care of the like last uh, mile uh, delivery of satellites in order for them to start working in a shorter amount of time. And time is money. I mean, if you are sacrificing one third of the life of your satellite just to wait that they get into the right position, you are sacrificing 30% of revenues and delaying the revenue. And that's, that's the main issue that we are solving. Yeah. And then I suppose um, economically, so the alternatives would basically be, you know, let's say you want to deploy half a dozen satellites, you would kind of take uh, several launches with a small launcher, right? But then that's probably definitely going to be more expensive given that small launches are not cheap. Or you put powerful propulsion on each one of your satellites, but that's obviously going to cost money. And, you know, then and then you have this powerful 
propulsion, which you only, which you don't need afterwards, correct? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, let's say, if you have, a, I mean, uh, even if you have propulsion on board, uh, it's a, like if you send 10, 10 satellites with propulsion, first of all, they are bigger because you need to have yeah. propulsion to perform a part of the mission that it's not making any money, right? So you are sacrificing uh, like a volume and a mass just to do, just to go, just for going from A to B that is not really interesting from a business perspective. Uh, but also you have to manage 10 different satellites that are going to different locations. That is really a complex activity in space. I mean, for those who have operated satellite in space, even if you operate one, you know how you know tough it is. Imagine operating 10 at the same time, going to different locations, yeah. and each of them need to get there very precisely. And we are talking about small satellites that are not designed. I mean, if you design a satellite for orbital maneuvers, then you are uh, over-designing the satellite sure. if you sure. then need to operate in one location, right? So that's that's a, that's a huge cost. But what we are seeing, the most of the convenience is not really, I mean, definitely there is the cost saving, but it's uh, like enabling the business that it's even more important. Because uh, apart from the additional revenues that you can make, because you have the satellite in position earlier, uh, it's uh, the, how you can reconfigure your constellation uh, that actually allow you, for example, to send less satellites or to send the same satellite with multiple payloads on board uh, or to position the satellite in locations that before were not uh, available to increase like I don't know to deliver services to a different market right so this is what we are amazed and customers are coming to us and with ideas that we even the orbit didn't think about right so they come to us oh can you bring us there or can you do that? And that that's amazing. So, and imagine that w when we launched the first cargo in 2020, uh, you know, we started marketing uh, since 2019, one year before. And at the beginning, mm -hmm. customers were telling us, oh, you know what? Uh, I don't think we need this service. It's not really useful. So we start saying, okay, why don't you try Right, so let's let's test the service, and uh, and then they start acquiring the service uh, on the second mission, and then they went on the third, and now they are coming back asking even more uh, additional maneuvers. So it, it took a while, uh, you know, to get the concept into the market. But they have to say now, if you speak with satellite operators, if they if they have not decided yet to use space logistics, they are in any in any case evaluating space logistics uh, to optimize their their satellite uh, constellation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, okay, let's talk a little bit about your your vehicle. I think it's called Ion. Um, by the way, why why is it called Ion? With a, with a, uh, yeah, it's it's called Ion, but it doesn't come with the with the electric propulsion, right? So the ah. reality is that <laughs> no, no. So the, it, we use chemical propulsion because yeah. what customers sure. really want is time. So you need to you be try. faster, but it's compatible with electric propulsion as well. But anyway, so the name Ion stands for Orbit Now. So okay. that's that's that that's why I am. But you know, that's uh, <laughs> acronyms uh, that uh, also seem something else. And um, so ION is, um, is a, it's a modular platform, the, the standard version. So the, the one, one platform can lead up to 200 kilos from 160 and 200 kilos. We don't care about the shape, the volume, the mass. And, uh, you know, if you fit in, uh, then we can transport it. We can uh, like raise the altitude up to 1200 kilometers or like, 
change plane so you can deploy satellites in different uh, plane I don't want to mm-hmm. get too much technical but LTAN change so yeah, to have the same let's say uh, like a higher revisit time then yeah. you can rotate the plane and uh, you put the satellite there you can change the inclination, not much in that case because it's very expensive, but we can yeah. do that. And, and we can also bring on board like hosted payload. That's actually, it's becoming very interesting. So most of the young companies that they are like asking for money to develop the, their technology, once they develop the technology, they usually go back to the investor and say, okay, can you give me more money that I need to go to market? And the investor, I mean, you are an investor. You probably ask, okay, show me that it's working. But if you are a space company, show me that it's working means show me that it's working in space and today it takes between two and five years and two to six million dollars to get there 80 percent of the public money invested in uh, like uh, research and development uh, does not reach uh, the market so in uh, you know in few months uh, with us you can be in orbit you can validate your technology Uh, we have a model that helps also the younger companies that they pay only only on a monthly basis once they are in orbit so they don't have you know the upfront cost or like they pay a negligible setup fee and, uh, and uh, so it's helpful for them and the interesting aspect that now even venture capital uh, uh, funds are coming to us because they want to introduce uh, us to their portfolio companies because they they want to accelerate the go-to-market phase so that's that's a yeah. it's helping the ecosystem to grow let's say but for me it's also important because those companies in the future may become like the largest satellite operators so, so, your customers yeah exactly yeah. of course business development let's just expand a little bit on some of the things you said there so would it be correct to say that probably you would provide most value add when you do have sort of like several customers or how can i say this but when you do have these things like plane changes just i guess you know we say like a higher delta v maneuvers right like i guess if you deployed everything in one plane for example then like spacex right is a good example like spacex they just bring out like their start all of their selling satellites and throw them all out and then they space out right i guess you provide like the more complex the maneuvers are the more value you provide by by virtue of propulsion right yeah yeah it's a it's a let's say uh yeah the difference with the rocket so the rocket when when the rockets release the the satellites they do it in batches so you, they release i don't know like 10 satellites at once and they are all in the same cluster and then, you know, very slowly satellites we disperse along the orbit. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we do, even if you are on the same orbit, we can, uh, we, we call it fast dispersion. We can not only disperse the satellite very quickly. That, that's a nice uh, image, I think was from uh, AGI. They took, I think it was 2020, they took um, the satellites released by the rocket. So there was the same customer that we had on board and was also launching other satellites on, on the rocket. And you see the difference. Uh, after one month, all the satellites let's say we deploy were already in position while the others were still packed in the batch. So that's a, right. one example, yeah. even on a single orbit. But as you said, the beauty of the logistics is that you can really move into additional orbits. And that's that's where the rockets can, cannot go. Okay. And then let's talk about this, the hosted payloads. I think that's a really interesting value-added business model. So if I understand correctly, basically, is you have the satellites, right? And those get deployed, but then the hosted payloads, whatever, it's an instrument that they want to test or a radio or a sensor, it, it basically just... It's stays on ION and ION is basically the, the 
hosting platform, right? Yes, exactly. Okay. So we operate Ion. Uh, we have the list of experiments, uh, and then we go through all the tests that the customers ask us to to perform. They get the data. So if they use our software, we have a like a software that we use to control uh, our satellites. But it's it's a cloud uh, as a service software. So if they use the software, they can directly get access to their data like immediately. Otherwise, we can provide the data once we don't once we download them. And we we started as I mentioned, we started in 2017 when we launched the small satellite, and we saw that actually was helpful for those companies. So when we designed Ion, said okay, I want a platform, of course, for delivering satellites, but I want to reserve some volume also for hosted payload because uh, all those companies will become the customers of the future. So it, it will be yeah. interesting to work with them since the beginning. And, and I guess it's also a very elegant way of like continuing to use Ion after Ion is done deploying oh, yeah. the satellites, right? Which actually is sort of one question I have, which may be a stupid question. I may have thought this through, but I guess the, the other mission architecture you could have is some sort of, um, you know, in-space last mile delivery vehicle, which deploys, but then it kind of stays around and deploys again. I guess then you would need like another sort of like a Earth to orbit stage, right? That then docks and then, you know, you could have like a, this kind of like two component architecture, but I guess that's probably a good reason that you decided not to do that. Um, so let's say we use um, everything of our Ion. Uh, really, you know, we, we, we try to exploit every single second of life of, of the platform. Mm -hmm. And uh, and also the way Ion is designed is to be reused. So even if today is not possible, but not to be reused, like send it back to work. That doesn't make sense sure. to sure. be reused directly in space, as you probably were, uh, were, yeah. uh, were, were saying. So, but anyway, so today there are several phases in the utilization of Ion. So the first one is delivery of satellites. That, that's happened very quick. In a few weeks, you have all the satellites deployed. Then you have the, the the other customers, the offset payload. But then at the end, we still have a perfectly working satellite, mm -hmm. you know, fully redundant and so on. So how, how can we use it? Some customers are already asking to place their own payload. So they launch 10 satellites and they gave us and they give us the payload so they can rent our satellite as the 11th of their constellation. So they like satellite for rent. Mm -hmm. Some others, they prefer keep the satellites on board as a backup satellite because they are not degrading at the same speed as if they are already in orbit and deploy only. So they pay as a sort of orbital warehouse. Uh, and then there are all the tests that we are going uh, to run on our own technology because I, I keep improving the platform, uh, like building additional services. So every time I fly, I test uh, new new technologies on board uh, that I'm going to deploy uh, later on. And uh, that's a, an important aspect that I mentioned at the beginning, it's, it's the space cloud. So every time yeah. that we launch ION, we are creating, we are launching a node of a space cloud infrastructure. So we started June when we had our first, uh, third uh, ION launched. We had on board the server. We ran some tests uh, using artificial intelligence algorithms by like different customers. We have nine experiments on board. One yeah. of them was from the European Space Agency. They they tested in orbit what, what they were used to, to use on ground on uh, like a flooding detection. And it worked pretty well. They also published the, the, like, the outcome. And, you know, 
know, every time you fly, every ion is going to become a node of this cloud, uh, like uh, edge computing in orbit. Yeah. And this is, uh, you know, interesting, right? So, of course, yeah. we are not yet at the point in which it, we can claim that we have a full service available. Yeah. But step by step, we are building it. So it's basically like distributed data centers of some exactly. sort. Right? And you can do exactly. computation, storage, like all of the things you'd kind of imagine from a regular data center? Exactly. Exactly that. And the, and the, and the model, the, like the pricing model, is exactly the same. Okay. But then you you know I have to ask come back to a point which you correctly mentioned like a few whatever maybe 10 minutes ago or so which is the sort of like you know the the obsolescence the technological obsolescence like like a few years ago you know I was also dealing with some cryptocurrencies and I came up with this you know stupid idea of like why maybe you should have a bitcoin mining satellite right it takes advantage of like solar power and the, the thermal conditions in space and then I kind of quickly realized oh no you would have to swap out the mining hardware like every year for this to work um, isn't there a similar problem with um, if you do have like a, a data center in space that you'd want to swap out the hardware quite quite often? Well, so it's uh, the, the beauty of our model. So basically we are launching every, so uh, next year we are launching four to six times, the year after like a dozen times. So, so if you want right. to up update your technology, you want to have a, like a better service on board, just take the next flight, right? So in a few months we can, uh, our system, it's, uh, so we are compatible with most of the like standard interfaces. So it's, uh, I would like to say that it's plug and play. Of, of course, in space, everything is difficult and complex. But let's say it, it's not as difficult as an uh, as if you are creating a dedicated site, right? So you, you 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 come to us, you plug in your new server, and you are ready to go. Of course, you may need you may need more power at that point because it's a more yeah. powerful server. But then, yeah. even in our case, we can expand the the, the power capacity. So it, it's really a matter of uh, if you have the technology, we can bring you in space. Uh, so we are in infrastructure provider it's so if you think that you can make a business out of it we can help that's that's the point right and uh, we are gap filler so even our node we we don't pretend to be the monopolist of space cloud we are talking with other companies that are still in the early stage that, that's a, a very interesting company the uh, the name is leo cloud they are sure. a very young company yep. uh, but they are very good and uh, you know we are we are we are working with them we are working okay, we are working with other companies in us because what i see is a distributed cloud. It's not just the orbit. It will be many companies that are all talking to each other in order to provide this infrastructure around the planet that will enable many different activities in the future. This will be extremely useful also for in-orbit servicing and like interplanetary transportation. And yeah. yeah, so you're basically, you are kind of showing that the use cases are possible, but then you want to basically remain the infrastructure provider and you're happy for other people to operate the, the use cases. Is that yes, sort of, yes. Okay, understood. And then sort of be, beyond the space cloud the edge computing, which is fascinating. What what are some other examples that are on your roadmap that you are too happy to talk about? Of course. Well, uh, you know, we we started from the space debris market, and space mm -hmm. debris for us it's always uh, uh, like on the top of our uh, on our head, right? So we are always uh, um, uh, working on that on that aspect. So we are now working on an institutional mission. It's called. Uh, Uh, the orbiting kit that is a system to be attached to like piece of rockets or satellites once they are in space in order to remove them and um, and uh, and this is what we are already doing now and this is important because I believe that space debris that today is considered one of the uh, largest issue for the space sector and by the way it is uh, I'm, I'm getting a warning of my satellites every couple of days for every mm. single satellite so it, it's really it, it's really becoming more and more risky but anyway yeah. um, I also believe that space debris is going to become uh, 
um, raw material and a resource for the future. So uh, if you are able to manage space debris now, you may be able to offer this as a resource, as a raw material in the future. And, you know, we, we already know how to perform orbital maneuvers, even very complex orbital maneuvers. Of course, you need to get to the satellite, get to the debris yeah. and grab it. So we are not there yet. Uh, there are other companies that are like testing their technologies, you know, like, like Astroscale and Clear Space is working on that, a Swiss sure. company. Yeah. So, but uh, definitely uh, this is going to be a massive um, market, uh, space debris, not just to remove the problem, but also to transform the problem into raw material and tools for the next market. That's very interesting. So a couple of questions on that. So I, I guess, as you sort of already implied, if you want to do something like debris removal, right, you need probably additional elements in your technology stack, right? I mean, you need uh, the, the rendezvous proximity operations that work, right? And yes. then I guess you need probably some robotics as well, correct? Yeah, yeah. So you can, uh, so there are different ways of uh, approaching a satellite in orbit. Definitely rendezvous and dock, it's, it's a necessary step. And uh, I I, uh, I I cannot sh share my screen, show you in the video here, but you, you can find them in, in internet. Yeah. We are capable of uh, recording videos while we deploy the satellites. And you will see that the satellites, while it's like getting away from our cargo, but if you think about, we can, uh, you know, if the satellite is getting away, we, we can also get close to the satellite. So proximity operations are already under test. Uh, rendezvous and docking, it's like another level of complexity. We yeah. are getting there. So, you know, step by step, it's, uh, my approach is always, uh, I mean, the market, space market is a complex market. You need to focus on where the market is. Uh, if you do a, a too big step, the risk is that you spend a lot of money, but then the results, you need to wait to see the outcome, right? Mm -hmm. So let's go step by step and uh, make sure that you work side by side with customers because even the like satellite operators today are evolving their model on a monthly basis. Mm -hmm. So what is true today may, may be like the same in one month or maybe completely different, maybe evolve. So you need to work with them on a, on a like continuously and learn from them. Uh, they have a lot to tell you about what, what will be the need in uh, like one, two, three years. And you need to start thinking today if you want to be ready in, in, in three years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. For, for the uh, one more question on the debris removal, um, which I guess is, is a very common question. What, what do you think, how this is going to work in terms of a revenue model eventually, right? Because right now it seems like it's like this perfect tragedy of the comments, right? That you can put stuff up there and you basically have the negative externality and nobody pays for it. Yeah, you know, that's, that was the, the first issue that I addressed when, so when we started the business, the first product was a, like a, a debris mitigation system. So, uh, and it was so difficult um, because everybody was thinking uh, that, oh yeah, space debris is a problem, is an environmental problem. So it's no one problem, right? So that's that's the point. Mm. And uh, so we, we started working with insurance companies and satellite operators at that time there were only big satellite operators to understand the, the economics and actually so um, think, let, let, let's take geostationary orbit uh, now uh, to perform the, the final maneuver they they use up to six months of life of the satellite and with six months you can make if you are a geostationary orbit satellite you can make a lot of money in six sure. months yeah. so that's that's uh, one unique uh, if you operate a large constellations in Leo, then uh, you have multiple satellites in multiple orbits and you are of, like uh, you are delivering a specific service uh, to ground, whatever it is, internet, whatever, right? So you cannot afford more than a certain number of the 
fund satellites per orbit. That yep. depends on the type of business and how you deploy the constellation, but usually it's, the, it's in the order of few units. If you increase the number beyond that, then you have to start degrading the service because the other satellites need to be operated to avoid collisions. And you are reducing the life of the satellites, but also while you are operating the satellite, not always you can deliver the service at the same time. So you are degrading the service. This is not uh, acceptable for the business. So you really want to make sure that uh, even the satellites that dies unexpectedly, and when they die, you can't do anything anymore. They are properly removed. And the second issue is that even if you just let them uh, like uh, decrease the orbit uh, a little, like applying to the 25 years rule, for example, you ended up with so many satellites not far from your operating satellite that are basically creating a cloud of, of of deaths, and you cannot afford that either. In fact, if you look at the large constellations, they are all thinking to remove the like the satellites that are still under control in less than five years. That is way beyond the 25 years rule, right? So they are, they are already like improving a lot, and they are thinking about active debris removal because for the satellites that they cannot control and they die, then there's nothing that they can do and they cannot afford it. So the, the, there are clear economics if you speak with the satellite operators. The the issue is that the fragments or like government satellites, right? So who's going to pay to remove them? That's that's the that's, yeah. the, that's the issue. So we are also working with uh, regulatory bodies and uh, institutions to make sure that um, there will be the possibility in the future to use a sort of like waste tax or like something like that right. that will be used uh, to clean up the environment. I mean, it's a service of everyone. Uh, every operator will be, I mean, uh, it will be acceptable to pay a very small fee in order for someone else to clean up, to clean up the space. Yeah, and it can be the other way around as well, right? It could be like if you proactively clean up, you get like a credit, kind of like the carbon credits or something, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that's uh, that's another that, that's another idea that is under discussion. So, you know, every solution today is a good solution for space debris, and we cannot wait too much. So whatever is applicable now let's do it yeah so i mean uh, you mentioned these numbers before we're really kind of going towards very like a very large number of at least proposed satellites okay and maybe some of them are just proposed to kind of you know uh, own the slot so to say we know that but still uh, i think we all agree the number is going to grow quite significantly and how do you think this is really going to play out in sort of the medium long term is this really the best model or should we kind of start exploring some alternative models like um, i don't know like you could imagine platforms like ion is a platform right but maybe even bigger and people just put their instruments on there or maybe we kind of have very modular satellites where we just swap out the payloads when they become obsolete or where do you think this can go or sensibly should go yeah let's say uh, what what we are seeing on and say in the short term uh, we see that satellites are increasing in size already uh, for many reasons I think mm. uh, first of all they realize that the the new space concept is not entirely working so you know this new space com- concept is oh let's launch 100 satellites I don't care if only 50 is going to work because then I can launch another 50 later on, right? The issue is that no one is going to give you money to launch 100 satellites at once. So they give you money to launch 10, and if you lose five, 
with five, you are not proving the business. So no yeah. one is going to give you more money for that. So first of all, an increase in quality, that means also having, let's say, uh, slightly larger or more capable satellites. Uh, of course, we are not talking going back uh, the, to the traditional satellites, right? But still yeah. improving. Second, they need to have more reliable uh, service to ground. So they require more energy and more energy means uh, larger satellites. Third, uh, they are adding multiple revenue stream to the same satellite. So they are adding multi, multi, uh, multiple payloads. So this, uh, uh, you know, the, the, I mean, talking about CubeSat, uh, now we are seeing moving from three units to six units. And uh, those people that were thinking about six units, they are moving to 12 units. And then microsatellites, uh, several microsatellites companies are contacting us right now. And I think this is a trend. Of course, we will not get back to the large satellites as in the past, but definitely to larger satellites. In terms of uh, number of satellites, so for the time being, and I think this is going to, to stay as it is for the for for uh, like for the next years. Uh, doesn't matter if one company is going to fail because maybe they they you know they they, they run out of money because there will be other companies starting again. Now every if I remember well, I, I read on the like in a, a US website, um, there's a, one new company at worldwide level starting every four to six weeks willing to launch satellites. So maybe, you know, some of them will not be successful and they will be substituted by someone else, but definitely the trend is there. Uh, uh, sooner or later, those constellations will become operating. So at that point, you only have the refresh, only the like substitution. So there will be like a more mature phase. Yep. But then at that point, I'm expecting satellites to be manufactured directly in orbit. This is going to change the way you design your constellation. Because at that point, uh, you can get rid of all the limitations that you have with satellites manufactured on Earth. Mm -hmm. Then you can even have just, I mean, theoretically, just the payload floatings, right? So yep. connected by wire. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm joking, but that definitely you 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 can invent a completely different type of, of uh, satellite infrastructure. And that's uh, like another step of the evolution of the market. But then, you know, I think uh, this is not going to happen uh, soon, probably not before eight to 10 years in, in the future. Yeah. And I hope to be wrong because that means that the market is really <laughs> growing more than the, more in the expectation. Yeah, yeah, understood. So if you go back to your sort of, you know, master roadmap and kind of look uh, sort of, you know, the 10, whatever the right time frame is into the future, the medium, long term, and we've touched upon like uh, like a few of the potential or existing elements of the roadmap already, like the edge computing, obviously last mile servers, recycling, debris removal. But of course, your um, original dream where you started was sort of um, the interplanetary transport. When, when are you going to take steps towards that? For example, are you planning on getting involved in all of the you know upcoming and uh, cis lunar activity yeah I, I i cannot say much about because okay. it's not yet uh, let's say uh, completed but yeah. yes of course uh, i mean you will need satellites around the moon right yeah. and uh, how do you bring satellites around the moon are you sending them one by one that's crazy so yeah. you will never be able to send one by one satellites around the moon so you need a transporter and uh, we can reach the moon so why not using our ion to deploy an internet satellite constellation around them so of course that's a very nice concept and uh, the interesting aspect is that um, we are working with other companies that also have 
um, a concrete market angle for like the moon market, right? Because at the moment, moon it's uh, mainly an institutional government uh, domain. Agencies, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, but there are few companies that are thinking how to exploit moon, but I'm more interested on the service business. So, and, uh, and uh, there are uh, really concrete business cases that uh, I'm not allowed to speak because uh, it's it's a, my partner companies that are working on that. But it's very interesting, and of course, my logistics service can help. So, but Moon is just the beginning, right? So, in a, in an interplanetary um, market, you will need to connect uh, Mars, the asteroid belt where you can find raw materials, Moon, and Earth, as pretty much as you connect the islands in the on, on the sea today. Uh, you need to transport people and goods. Uh, from one location to another. And if you don't have a logistic service, it will be too expensive to do it on a one-by-one uh, basis. Yeah. So that's, yeah. uh, and in order to get there, you need to have the basics. So you need to have vehicles that are capable of moving from one place to another, that are moving to, that are capable of docking, that uh, are capable of uh, dealing yeah. with the materials. And you will need to build those space vehicles in space because the, the economics otherwise will not uh, run well. And But, to build the, the space vehicles in space, you need the raw materials. And raw materials shall come from space because you want to work in a circular economy in space, right? So you yeah. want to have a, a space like uh, capable of future. So that's why space debris could be the initial raw material. Then if you are able to mine some asteroids in a proper way, you can have additional raw material and you create a real uh, space-to-space market. That is w- what we are enabling right now. Yeah, yeah. I forgot to ask earlier, um, I... I ask in many of the conversations these days about Starship, right? Because, you know, I'm being a SpaceX shareholder and, and like it's so exciting what's going on in Boca Chica. And I think many people don't realize how far along that work is um, and, and how big of an impact it could have. You know, um, my friend Michael Lane in the US coined this term, the Starship singularity, like because he thinks it's going to change things so much. What do you think this, the impact of Starship is going to be? And, and also on your business, um, like, I, I guess it's very complementary, right? And, and yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I hope they, they are successful as soon as possible because... Uh, uh, you know, the price per kilo that they are offering is very convenient. So, and I'm already compatible. So we are checking the compatibility with the, with the Starship as well. So, and uh, not just for Ion, but also for the next, uh, the next vehicle that, that we are designing. So definitely this is going to help. But the, 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 the most important aspect is that they are going to open the door to many other companies that are, you know, likely doing the same, right? So it's like you see on the rocket. So SpaceX demonstrated that it was possible. And now you have 60 more companies willing yep. to build a rocket in a, in a lean way. This is going to happen. This will help us a lot to deploy our vehicles, uh, you know, in space. And uh, maybe also, why should I go to Mars on, on my own? If, if I can use a, like a, someone else's vehicle and then I take care of the like delivery yep. in situ, right? So it's pretty much how, uh, the same way that it happens on Earth. You take a, a large a container boat just to go from, I don't know, from uh, Genoa to New York. And then in New York, you have the trucks that deliver all the goods wherever they need to be delivered. Of course, or like as we, in the same way, we take um, big uh, jets um, to fly somewhere and then we take the airport shuttle and it leaves everybody at the hotels and uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, um, I'm going to ask you the sort of two questions I always ask at the end, which is one, so if you weren't doing the orbit, is there anything else you would be doing that you find very interesting in space right now? Uh, yeah, it, it's funny because um, 
my my other companies that I founded in the past, uh, one was building drones when drones were not cool. So way you know long time ago, yeah. that uh, actually was very interesting. And the other one was we we were selling special effects to the movie sector. So we also went to the Oscar once. We didn't win, but it was a you know a nice experience. Yeah. But none of them was really what was my initial passion. So I wanted to become an astronaut, but I was very good at software. So I was a, yeah. like a like a software developer. Uh, I started even before I learned to write and read. So because uh, my father bought a computer and I was not allowed to play with that computer. It was a Commodore 64. So yeah. I had to learn to code the games because I yeah. couldn't, you know, I couldn't buy them. But anyway, so software was always my my stuff. And I suffer because now that I'm in the dark side of business, right? As a CEO, you you don't have much time to play with uh, with software anymore. But it, yeah. uh, that, that's something that I miss, yeah. you know. When, and as you Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's a relaxing, it's a relaxing activity for me, yeah. Um, and yeah, so that's that's uh, that's my passion. Okay, I, I very much. I mean, I'm a coder. I very much relate to that. So that's that's a good one. And it's obviously software is crucial to to space operating in space as well. Yeah. And then the traditional last question. Science fiction. Do you like science fiction? And if so, what, what do you like? Oh, uh, yeah. I, I grew up with science fiction. I think science fiction is a good way to predict the future because nerds and engineers read science fiction and who's going to build the future, the technology of the future? Engineers, right? So you yeah. are basically predicting the future. Yeah, I love science fiction. Uh, well, Star Wars, uh, you know, in, in, in the interviews, I was used um, uh, to ask um, if people ever watched like Star Wars. If the answer was no, that they couldn't work in the orbit. Right, so so that uh, now 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 I'm not running all the interviews, but that's definitely something that we have in the company. Uh, however, there is one aspect that I want to mention. I, I still one more minute. Um, there's a, a very uh, interesting uh, book series. It's called Hyperion. Um, oh. mm-hmm. Simons, right? So yeah, yeah. and um, and there's a, a very interesting aspect. There is it's there is this poet in the book that is very rich. That actually, if you think about a, a rich poet, it, it's, it looks like, an, a, 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 like, you know, something completely weird. Yeah, yeah oxymoronic, so, yes. <laughs> yeah, and he's so rich that he, he, build, he, he builds his house in different planets. Uh, yeah. uh, basically, you can go from one room to another going through a, like a sort of wormhole, right? Yeah. So a telephone. Yeah. And that's that's really amazing. And that I'm sure this is going to happen sooner or later. So as you can see, science fiction is, is part of my life. And uh, well, and when we started our business, everybody was telling us, oh, this is science fiction. It's not going to happen. And what we are doing now was considered science fiction. So it's just a matter of time. And science fiction is the science of tomorrow. Yes. And I really recommend anybody who hasn't read it, Hyperion, especially, it's a fantastic book and it has quite a few, I think, say, elements of the future which are very interesting, maybe even plausible, also the role of artificial intelligence um, and things like that, without giving away too much. But look, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been so fascinating to hear about your roadmap. Best of luck. You know, I, I hope this is all going to play out, uh, continue to play out according to the, the roadmap plan. And we can have these conversations again and look back and see how many of these things uh, became a reality and maybe what was different and what was the same as planned and so forth. So best of luck with that. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much. And my pleasure, really. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for another nominal episode of the Space Business Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider giving it a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform, such as iTunes. 
You can follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore space. Also consider supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash space business podcast. If the podcast got you interested in learning more about the business opportunities in the space economy, check out my new online course on space entrepreneurship on udemy.com. The link is in the episode description. Lastly, if you have any feedback, including ideas for guests, and that may include yourself if you have an exciting space story to tell or interested in being a sponsor, drop us an email at spacebusinesspodcast at gmail.com. I look forward to seeing you for the next episode.